0: you're really missing hugs right now, I've got a virtual one for you this week. It's episode 330 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. When you think of huggers, you think of Ella Lopez from Lucifer, right? Well, why not have Amy Garcia join me on the show this week to talk about Lucifer, which is now streaming season five, part one on Netflix. Maybe you've already made it through it. Maybe you haven't started it yet. Either way, don't worry. Spoiler-free interview with Amy coming up. We'll talk about stuff that might be happening in this season, fifth season. We'll also talk about some stuff that happened in season four, obviously, and just have a lot of fun because Amy's super fun anyway. You know that. we well, it's going to talk about a couple of very interesting comics this week. There's a very interesting bunch of nerd news, one story in particular that's really got me fired up. i will talk about that here shortly. But first, going to start things out with my spoiler-filled review of Deathstroke Knights and Dragons, the movie. That is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is voice actor Roger Craig Smith, and you guys are listening, you lucky people, to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And we're back. It started out on CW Seed and now ended up as a full movie from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment that is Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons. The movie, of course, it was a CW Seed series first. Of course, that only aired the first part, and now we've gone back and made an entire movie out of it. They actually did make a few subtle little changes, mostly editing-wise, of stuff that was added in different places, but everything you saw in that CW seed airing, if you watched that, was in this movie. They just moved a few things around a little bit. But basically, if you want the gist of what this movie is about, in case you don't know, by the way, spoilers from here on out, too, so just be aware of that. You should listen to this review. and Basically, it's Slade Wilson juggling his super assassin life as Deathstroke and his family life with his wife and his son. and He did something 10 years ago that... Made them pay a pretty terrible price, actually. So you fast forward a decade and now the family is threatened again, or at least it seems that way. And of course, you know, Slade's just not going to take that lying down. I'm not going to go through, like I said, I'm not going to go through every little bit of this movie. Michael Chiklis, I'll just say this right off the bat, amazing as the voice of Slade Wilson as, as Deathstroke. Does a fantastic job with the family man side. And the assassin side. My only beef with this story, as far as that's concerned, his reason for wanting to be Deathstroke, right? The reason for taking up this mantle. They talk about it at the end of the movie when he's fighting with his wife, Adeline, who who's played by uh, Sasha Alexander, who again does a fantastic job. And he talks about how he wanted to be that knight that his son saw him as. And he talks about how the military experiment changed him. I'm like, you wanted to be the knight, the son, your son wanted you to be. By becoming a paid assassin, doesn't that seem a little stupid in a certain way, right? I mean, For lack of a better way of putting it, and his wife almost says the same thing. I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And that was his rationale in his head. I don't know if you, maybe that was just a misguided thing on his part. I don't know. That just seemed a little weird to me. But his son, Joseph, is who I'm talking about, of course. And that's who is Jericho later on. In the movie, one thing I thought was really, really clever, though, as far as the family connection goes, you know, that uh, Death Slade Wilson cheats on his wife, Adeline, with, with another woman, and they end up, unbeknownst to him, by the way, having a daughter who was played by Faye Mata, and that was Rose. That is who that ended up being. She She ended up being the Hive Queen. But her connection, Rose and Jericho's connection in this movie, was one of the strongest things About This story how they found each other how he used his powers to sort of reach out to her and that's how they sort of found each other now ended up being misguided as far as the path that they took but their love for each other was genuine as brother and sister and eventually they just wanted to basically be with themselves they wanted to sort of run off as brother and sister and and be together as a family. Just them, because they were upset with mom and dad, obviously. Well, well, Jericho was upset with mom and dad. It looked like Rose's mom, she thought that she really loved her, which it looked like she did. But I thought that their bond was really, really special, and I thought that was really, really neat. And when they were in peril from the jackal in the in the latter part of the movie, that just felt real to me. That That connection felt so real, and then watching them sort of come together with the family at the end, I thought was really, really neat. And then Jericho, when he basically turns on his dad, when it looks like dad's saving him from the Hive Queen, when he turns on him, that was a moment we did see in the CWC airing. And I remember how powerful that was, just as powerful, by the way, seeing it the second time, too. So there were a lot of very powerful moments. The action was definitely spot on in this entire movie. There was a couple of action sequences with Bronze Tiger and Deathstroke that I thought were off the charts awesome. Could have done with a little bit more Lady Shiva. I thought we didn't really get to see much of her until the end and what she could really do. It was almost like they sort of held her back a little bit. Maybe it was like they were kind of saving her sort of thing. I don't know. But, you know, Lady Shiva is one of those characters that I think that you could have had a little bit more opportunities with fight scenes with. And then you had the Jackal, who we see Slade fight earlier in the movie and you think he's dead. He's not, you know, classic villain, is still alive sort of thing. But I almost feel like The Jackal didn't earn his place. He, you know, put Rose in charge as the Queen of Hive, and then he was like the figurehead at the very top. It didn't feel like that was earned based on what we knew going into that earlier on in the movie. It just felt like in that gap of 10 years, we don't see how he earns that spot. We just know that he's pissed at Slade, for lack of a better term, because Slade kills his daughter in an earlier battle when he refuses another invitation from Hive. Understandably upset, but uh, that doesn't mean that he should just be like this figurehead of Hive who put it together in secret. Obviously, if he's one of the only surviving members, maybe that's what makes sense. You know, if you're the only one left, obviously you're going to be the one that is left picking up the pieces. Maybe that it's just that simple, but it just seemed like it wasn't earned, right? It seems like that's something you need to... That's a spot you need to get to, and like Bronze Tiger even said, "Hey, I went freelance because I got tired of taking orders." Bronze Tiger is a, as a as a character that you could have seen easily overtake the Jackal as the leader of Hive, right? So, or or the figurehead of Hive, however you want to call it. I just thought that that was a little weird, but I mean, the fight scenes between he and he and Deathstroke were good, so it's hard to really complain about that. And then I loved how Wintergreen, played by Colin Colin Salmon, who was he ended up kind of like being the Alfred character to death batman a little bit and and it was really really neat to see that and and you know they've always had that they've always had a, a a good friendship uh slade and and wintergreen have but the way that they portrayed wintergreen in this movie is like the man in the chair for Slade, or the man that slade called when he needed him it was very very interesting and apparently that adeline does as well because that's you know she was keeping tabs on slade because of that so i thought that that was a really cool thing that they did as well. The animation style in this movie really really great. I thought that the way that they portrayed the fight scenes was excellent. I I kind of liked that that Slade was more on the side of, yeah, I'm an assassin, but I've got a conscience sort of thing. So, I'm going to get my I'm going to get my fee, but at the same time I'm not going to let bad people do bad things. It was that different side of Deathstroke that you don't really see as often. You'll often see him portrayed as the stone cold killer villain, right? And not necessarily the, the family man sort of thing. So it was nice to explore that side of him. and nice to get a spotlight on him to do that. And you see at the end, it's one of those, is he dead or isn't he? And does Jericho know whether or not he's dead sort of thing as well? So could we see more from this story? I mean, it's certainly possible. You never know. Or will this storyline end up continuing? I kind of think this is going to be a standalone movie i feel like i mean obviously rose says that she's gonna leave right I And mean, you could understand why she'd be a little uncomfortable being in that fi- family dynamic but so you know maybe we see this storyline continue for some of the other characters and maybe we reference this movie in another one down the line but as a standalone movie i think that this really works was it perfect in its storytelling obviously it, it wasn't i mean there was a there was a time gap there and there were th- things that needed to be explained. There were plenty that were, but there were also things that kind of left me scratching my head, like wh- how did we get there and why weren't we given that information? But it wasn't a deal breaker for me either. I went into this thinking, okay, the action's going to be good. As long as I get a decent story and some good voice work, then I'm then I'm good with that. And that's exactly what I got. So I would definitely recommend if you're looking for something action packed, a different side of the, the Deathstroke character. Deathstroke Knights and Dragons the movie is something that you're going to want to pick up for sure that's going to do it for my spoiler filled review of Deathstroke Knights and Dragons the movie up next let's talk to Amy Garcia who's going to give us a little preview of season five part one of Lucifer that's up next on the down and nerdy podcast
1: hello this is Tom Ellis from Lucifer and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast
0: you guys have been feeling some positive vibes this week i think it's got something to do with the fact that lucifer season five is coming to netflix on friday august the 21st and when you think positive vibes who else do you think of but ella lopez so let's chat with amy garcia shall we amy how you doing
1: i'm great thank you
0: now we last saw that lucifer of course went back to hell last season amy and based on the trailer trailer that we saw the season it doesn't seem like ella's too happy with him so it takes a lot to make ella mad tease for us a little bit how upset is she with him really
1: she is take off her shoe and hit him in the chest upset <laughs> she is holding no prisoners he is like an older brother to her and she feels totally abandoned and as we all know ella wears her emotions on her sleeves. so she is not happy and does not hold her feelings back so <laughs> On the actual day, Tom was like, "Oh God, I don't think I don't think you're going to be on camera. So can you maybe not hit me?" <laughs> <laughs> so I think I, I think I, I I really beat him up.
0: So we saw Ella hit a bit of a rough patch last season in season four, and she was in a dark place for a bit. So with all the turmoil at the end of season four, could we see something similar happen to her this season, or has she kind of learned from that previous experience?
1: Well, season four was a crisis of faith for Ella, as we saw for the first time she took off her cross, and she finally at the end realized that it wasn't God's job to make the bad things go away, but it's his job to give us the strength to deal with the bad things. So I think, you know, that was such a huge um, 180 for her, and and she really came back to her faith. And then this season is more of a crisis of self, which is going to be extremely disheartening because we all know that Ella is unapologetic she's a major dork, total nerd, you know, isn't afraid to break out some dance moves in the middle of a crime scene, right. doesn't know when to stop talking, major hugger, always invading your space. She's you know, she's just this little ray of sunshine and to, we're going to see the brightest, lightest, most optimistic character in the darkest place, and it's one of the darkest scenes I think we've done in the entire series. So um, that's what our show does. Our writers are incredible, and and you know expect the unexpected. And um, it's gonna be. I mean, it, it it's hard as an actor for me because I I get really nervous with those dramatic scenes. I'm much more comfortable just being a goofball. But but yeah, we're gonna see, you know, Ella get a love interest, and and uh, you know we're gonna see her go to places we've we've never seen her go to before. So it's it, it's gonna be. I don't know. The fans are, are are pretty protective of her, so I, I don't know how they're going to feel about it. But I, I promise it will be a holy wooly situation when <laughs> um, you know when they see when they see Ella, you know, be scared and lost and confused and heartbroken.
0: Now, speaking of previous experiences and love interests, a lot of the Lucifer fans are still talking about Ella and Dan hooking up last season. How unexpected was that for you? When you saw it in the script last season, and can you tease anything for us about the love interest, maybe a little bit? So Kevin and I, you know, Kevin is, I think of him like a brother. I mean, we've worked together for years,
1: and and when we had to do that scene, it's like, Ella and Dan severely make out in the lab, and we're like, ooh. And he's like, tequila shot? I'm like, tequila shot. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we may or may not have taken a shot at Tequila to, right before that scene, because we're like, we're professionals, we're professionals. But still, you know, it's, it's, it's a little weird. But uh, yeah, that, you know, that will be fun to kind of pick up pick up from there. They have some fun, little awkward scenes. And then with Ella's new love interest, you know, we're used to seeing her, completely single, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. she's like dating God, and she doesn't really talk about a personal life, and she's in her own lane, and she's this independent woman of science and faith, and for the first time, we're going to see her in a romantic setting, which to her, obviously, means speaking Klingon and dressing up in Star Trek cosplay. Nice. So, we would expect nothing less from, you know, Ella's love interest, and she finally, finally finds someone who gets her, who she can let her guard down around, and and, and it's it, it'll be fun, right, because she can't, she will not hide behind the mask of, you know, her bubbly personality, and she does have this other side, so it's going to be a fun little journey for her, and actually, the last season, the last episode of this first um, part of the season was directed by Kevin, who did a great job, and that's, one of Ella's biggest episodes and we're going to see her like we've we've never
0: seen her before oh I can't wait speaking of people we haven't seen before we know that the big guys Ella calls him is going to be making an appearance this season at some point played by Dennis Haysbert now first how great was he Mm -hmm. in the role and second how do you think Ella would actually react if she knew she'd met God himself
1: Well, Dennis is fantastic. He's a consummate professional. He's been in the game for such a long time. And he just brings such a gravitas to the show that's already, you know, has this really talented group of writers and actors. And he is fantastic. You believe him as God. You're like, yes, of course, this is the most perfect casting ever. He fit right in. Um, he really feels like Amenadiel and Lucifer's dad. You know, he has a very commanding presence. You know, he's such a tall guy, and, and he just has such a grounded nature to him that it's fun to see him... It'll be fun to see that character put Lucifer and Amenadiel in their place, right? That's what I think the show does no so doubt. well. Is it takes these larger-than-life celestial characters and humanizes them with, like, I want dad's approval. I can't stand my brother. I'm in love with someone who's not in love with me. I want to be forgiven. Those are such human qualities. So so, it'll be so great to see them, you know, how do you react? How does Lucifer react when dad shows up? I mean, that's so fun, right, and relatable. So um, that is, the fans are going to love that. And then as far as Ella, obviously we have to have a woman of faith meet God. So that was probably one of my funnest scenes all season. He just makes you better, you know. It's like you're you're only as good as the people you're surrounded with, right? So he is he's fantastic. That scene is so sweet. And if Ella actually knew that she was meeting God, I don't. I don't. I think she would. I think she would probably hug him. Obviously. Yeah. Well. Obviously. You will see. Yeah, exactly. You'll see the answer to that question. And and like I said, our show throws us curveballs as actors. We're at the table where we're like, whoa, 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 what? And we're going back to the previous page. We're like, did we just read that correctly? So it may not be what you expect. You know, Ella does does meet God this season and um, and <laughs> he is so funny. That's the other thing I have to say is he does have this commanding presence and obviously he's got the best dramatic chops. But the man is funny, <laughs> which is just it, it, like giving that's what that's what Joe and LD and the rest of the writers do so well. They give God a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it. you know, it's just and they they humor it, um, in a way that that you you would never expect. So when you finally watch the season, you'll know what I'm talking about. But God, a.k.a. Dennis, does some things that are so hilarious and so relatable and so like oh my god that's so me that I think I think they're gonna I think this is gonna be our best season yet
0: awesome awesome now Amy it's been a crazy year a lot of things in the world are very different right now what I need to know is how could Ella survive in a world without being able to hug almost everyone all the time
1: (laughs) oh I know it's funny because I'm you know I'm Mexican and Puerto Rican and I I love to get up in there. You know, we have a, we have a term in Spanish called a papachad and a papachad means to just like squeeze with love and, and to just hug and, and kiss. And I, I love to do that. You know, I love to do a papachad and it, you know, the social distancing is very not Latin, so not Latin. So uh, it's been, it's definitely been challenging for me personally. I miss my friends. I miss my family, but obviously I'm trying to be socially responsible and, and quarantine and wear masks everywhere if I, if I need to go out to the grocery shop or whatever. So I don't know. I think Ella uh, would probably, you know, I think she's writing like a sci-fi novel. I think it was, you know, established in season two. So she'd probably finish that one. Yeah. Already write the sequel, throw herself into work. She'd probably watch like forensic files over and over again, you know, catch up on like creditor and like, (laughs) I feel like she would just, dance. I think she's probably a big dancer and would do dance videos and obviously do like, you know, TikTok. And and I don't know. I think I think it would, she would probably learn another language. I mean, she speaks English, Spanish, French, Klingon, a little bit of Portuguese. So, you know, she'd probably pick up another language or two. But uh, it might not be pretty. I don't know. Someone like Ella, she's got way too, ener- too much energy for her own good. So uh, I don't know if she'd be able to survive... You know, isolation.
0: <laughs> no doubt about it, Amy. Before I let you go, I know that I freaked out when I saw the trailer for the season where Michael was revealed. And I know that the fandom did as well. Did you all freak out just as much as we did? And what do you say to any fans that might think that that reveal in the trailer gave away too much for this upcoming season?
1: Well, I think they're going to be so impressed. You know, I think it's 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 such a it's such a telling you have to be so talented i think to carry a show number one and then to establish yourself as one character for four years and then play the big bad in the same series is is obviously it takes a lot of talent so we at the table read the first time we heard tom as michael i won't give away what it is but it is different than his his lucifer cadence so we were like whoa we're like he's got he's got some serious chops so I think they're going to be so proud and so impressed because again, it's it's already hard enough to carry a show, but to act with yourself against yourself in the same scene as your evil self. I mean, that's, that's a whole other level of challenge. And then, you know, uh, this is this is what we love about our fans. They're so fervent. And I experienced this on Dexter as well. I mean, the ending was so polarizing for people. I would get stopped on the train and I'd be like, yo, can we talk about that ending of Dexter? Why? <laughs> i didn't right? it?" You know, I don't know. So I I, I like that. I, I, you know, I think that people are very protective of the show and they're very invested in the show. And frankly, we have six seasons because of them. I mean, they, you know, worldwide, which is what I love about the show, it's inclusive. People from Africa and Europe and Mexico and Brazil and New Zealand and, you know, Canada, just all over and all different races and ethnicities and, and socioeconomic statuses and, and age groups. And, you know, this show, for some reason, is so relatable. They're like, well, if the devil can, can become better and ask her for, for forgiveness, then so can we. So I think in the end, you know, we're one big family, Lucifer family. And and that's what that's, – I think it's a good thing. I think people, you know, are going to be like, oh, it gave me too much away. It did, and it did. I mean, I mean that's what we want. And, and to me, that shows that people care. So – I think that they will be very happy with the season. They will laugh. They will cry. They will be heartbroken. They will get their Decker star moments, which, you know, Ella is such a captain of. And, and I think they're going to be really happy to, to leave this beautiful story in a way that's almost a love letter and a tribute to them. Because we wouldn't be here without what I call our little angels. So, um, so you know, I, I'm glad that they care. And uh, I think that they will be very happy with the season.
0: Let me just say, you guys think you know, you don't know. Trust me, get ready to block out eight hours of your life. You're going to need it. Lucifer Season 5 begins on Friday, August the 21st, and I can't wait for you to see what she's got in store for you. It's Amy Garcia, who plays Ella Lopez. Thank you so much for joining me this week.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for having me. Stay safe. Thanks again for everything.
0: You can always just hear the joy in Amy Garcia's voice, can't you? Whether she's talking about Ella or she's talking about any of the characters, on Lucifer. You can tell how excited she is for this season and if that doesn't get you ready, I, I don't know what to tell you. If you. Again, you think you know, you don't know. Wait till you see for yourself what happens on Lucifer Season 5 Part 1 streaming right now on Netflix. You are not going to want to miss a second of this. Thanks to Amy Garcia for joining me again this week. Up next, how about we talk about some comics and something big that happened in Issue 6 of Thor. We'll talk about that next. I'm James Witham and this is is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hey, this is writer Christopher Hastings, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Whether it be your laptop or your actual lap that you're laying the book in, I mean, hey, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And again, a little bit of a change to what we're reading from now on, going to be a little bit spoiler-filled from here on out doing these reviews, as long as the book is already out. If it's a book that's not out yet, I won't be spoiling anything, but I won't spoil everything in these reviews. But how can you not spoil something that happened in Thor number six this week from Marvel Comics, and it was a big one, written by Donny Cates, Nick Klein on the art, Matt Wilson on the colors, VCs, Joe Sabino on the letters, and then Olivier Copiel, and Laura Martin with a great cover on this one. Again, spoilers, I can't stress this enough. If you know what happened, you know why I'm stressing this a million times. Now, Thor's not in a good place after this big battle that he's returned from against the Black Winter. Now, Norn tries to help him, but Thor is kind of very consumed by what happened exactly. But And that's exactly when we rewind and see the battle itself. Now, whether what the Winter said about Galactus or not was true, Thor still struck down Galactus anyway. And stole his power, too, by the way. And let me tell you, this was an epic Moment. If you ever wondered how powerful Thor really was, you got your answer in this issue for sure. And it was one of those things that when it happened, it didn't make me go, really? Really? You think Thor can kill Galactus? The way they portrayed it and the way Thor just carries himself in this series, I bought it. I totally bought it. And you wouldn't think that, you know, if you would say, who's going to be the one that could kill Galactus in the Marvel Universe, you might rattle off a bunch of names. Thor might be on that list, but you never think it would actually happen, and when it does, it definitely makes a huge impact, and then he turns around and uses Galactus as a bomb to destroy the Black Winter, and I'm like, this is a boss bunch of pages for Thor. Like, seriously, this is maybe the most powerful we've seen him, I don't want to say ever, because that's a little heavy-handed, but I mean, killing Galactus and the Black Winter in the matter of a few pages, that's, you know, that's pretty awesome, so... It's hard to really argue with that, saying how powerful that he is. But then there's that little question that you get when the Black Winter keeps calling this universe, Thor's universe, a doomed universe. And you're like, well, what is he talking about? Is this just big talk? Does he know something? Now, he, Thor actually sees something before the Black Winter dies. And he gets to see his fate, as it were, or the fate of his universe, because that's what was the last thing that he saw and i will not reveal what that is but man does it set up one hell of a story going forward i will say this to the art in the pivotal moments of this issue especially with everything that going on going on with galactus was extraordinary i want to give a special kudos though to matt wilson because the colors just lit up every page when it mattered most and it really helped drive that story home this is one of those milestone issues that felt like it had a real impact across the Marvel line, not just in this particular story. Time will only tell if that's true or not. Yeah, you're going to want to continue reading this one. And if you're not already, jump on board with Thor, the 2020 version anyway, from Marvel, and just enjoy because what's going to be happening from here on out, going to be very, very interesting, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Let's jump aboard the Power Rangers story. We haven't talked about Power Rangers in a while, so let's do Draken's New Dawn, number one, from Boom Studios. New writer for Power Rangers this time, Anthony Birch doing the writing there, Simone Ragazine, Ragazzoni on the illustrations, Raul Angulo on the colors, a Duke Shire on the letters, and Jung wen Yoon on the colors. Now, Draken again, spoiler alert, speaking of dead, Draken is dead, gone. Now, Kimberly is the one on throne and she's the ranger slayer now full armor and everything looks good in the armor too by the way unfortunately though there's still some residual effects from this war you know you can take down the leader but you can't take down you know everything that happened you can't just erase everything that happened in a short amount of time so there's still some serious fighting going on in the city so when she's dealing one of these when with one of these you know petty disputes i say that because but something else happens during that that's a little bit more you know a little bit more of a big deal she learns of a prison called the deadlock which might actually be draken's last footprint you know it's like okay this is a way we can completely erase everything that he ever was so she of course wants to take it down and free everybody in the prison now during this little altercation she kind of gets taken away from the battle falls down some sort of secluded hallway and if you've ever read a comic or watched a sci-fi movie you know how this sort of thing kind of can play out and she finds a prisoner there Looks like it could be a ranger, who they are and why they were left alive. That's the question we get. But during a flashback sequence in this issue, we get the why. And it's pretty disturbing what Draken does to this prisoner. But we don't get the who. And that's still a question that we're going to be left with at the end of this issue, which I do love, by the way. And while all this is going on, too, you, you kind of find out that their little liberation party had some unintended consequences. And you might recognize who you see at the end of this issue. And that's, again, not something that I'm going to spoil for you. But this was this was definitely a fun ride of an issue, especially starting off a limited series, but I absolutely love Scorpina and the fact that she has no filter whatsoever. It seems like she could stab you in the back at any particular moment. She's just got this snark about her. That made this issue so much fun to read, honestly. And and how she plays off of everybody, and it's like she just doesn't care about anything, basically. And she just does her own thing. Now, she still follows orders, but she definitely marches to the beat of her own drum. It's very cool. This is a very uneasy dynamic to go across the board, and that's some really nice tension that gets added as sort of a backdrop to this entire entire story. It's like, yeah, they respect their their leader and they respect the chain of command, but there's still a lot of tension going on with pre- almost everybody. It seems like, I mean, you've got the coinless, you've got you've got the the Sentinels. you've got the 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 other sentinels, you got the rangers and everything. There's there's just a lot going on. And a lot of different factions at play here. The art's very solid in this book. There's actually a clear path forward in the story with some reveals yet to come. I'd say that this is a pretty good winner. Especially if you're a Power Rangers fan and you know who shows up at the end. It's going to make you want to continue, I have a feeling. So yeah, throw this one in your pull box as well. Especially if you're a Power Rangers fan. Is this a jumping on point? I mean, maybe. You you wouldn't necessarily be lost. Because it kind of picks up after a major moment with the death of Drakken. So you could jump in right here and maybe enjoy this limited series but i think you definitely want to be a rangers fan a power rangers fan to be able to really appreciate this on the level that you need to but still i right, throw it in the poll box if you are that's going to do it for what we're reading up next yeah i've got a few thoughts on what's going on this whole fiasco with dc fandom i'll share them with you next on the down and nerdy podcast
1: hey this is true pal from gotham on fox you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast
0: What was once a 24-hour event has now become almost a month-long wait. It is time for nerd news, and the timeline for DC FanDome and everything that's happened in the last several days is pretty interesting. Now, you might actually be listening to this after FanDome occurred because it was going to be happening on August the 22nd, which is a Saturday. These podcasts are released on a Friday, but I still wanted to talk about what happened, and that is just a couple of days... After releasing the full schedule for DC's Fandom event, which was the big 24-hour virtual event free to all fans that was going to span movies, TV, animation, comics, everything. And it was going to be a big 24-hour worldwide event and catch it while you can sort of thing. After releasing that schedule just days later and just a couple of days before the actual event was supposed to happen, DC goes, uh-uh, you know what? Yeah, we're going to, you know that schedule we literally just put out? Yeah, go ahead, scrap that. We're going to do two days now. But no, 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 we're not going to do Saturday and Sunday. We're not going to do the 22nd and 23rd of August. No, 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 no. We're going to do one event on August 22nd, and we'll do another one on September the 12th. And I saw this, and I was like, is this really happening right now? First of all, just to get this out of the way, obviously, you know, to have two events instead of one, getting a chance to experience more things than I would have otherwise with the scheduling conflicts that were going on, that's that's cool. I, I do like that aspect, but at the same time, you make this change like a couple of days after you put out your full schedule. Like You didn't know this a few days ago when you put the schedule out. Did you literally have to see it in black and white to go, you know what? Maybe we are trying to cram too much stuff into one day, which by the way, we all knew beforehand like everyone knew that that's what this was it was cramming too much into one day and it was one of those things where well nobody's going to care about this because they're going to watch this so that it almost doesn't even matter that we're doing this and sure there would be some super fans that would stay up late for some of the encores and stuff like that but not as far as I saw anyway not everything had encores especially on like the comic side and things like that and I realized. There are, again, some things that are bigger than others, but if you really want to give everybody a fair shake here, then you've got to give them time to do so. So instead of doing that, they've broken things up now, and now we're going to basically focus on the 22nd on the Hall of Heroes stuff, which is your major major movie stuff like Wonder Woman 1984, The Batman, Black Adam, Shazam, things like that, and then a couple of the TV stuff like Flash is going to be in there. You're also going to have um titans which is going to be in there as well probably announce a move to hbo max for that show permanently here's the deal and then you push almost all the tv and animation stuff to this event on september the 12th you missed a huge opportunity here if you were gonna get change the schedule at the last minute to make it make more sense than you actually did what you could have done was say we realized this event was so big instead of 24 hours we're making it 48 and you could have done saturday and sunday the 22nd and 23rd wouldn't have upset anybody's schedules at all because you're already planning on you know blocking up part of your weekend for this anyway and again i'm not i'm not thinking that there's a whole lot going on on sunday august the 23rd that would make you not want to do this it's not like the nfl season's happening or anything like that there's just it seems like a good open space to be able to move this to and It's not like you have to negotiate with a venue or anything to stay an extra day because it's a virtual event that you're controlling. You're going to lose all your momentum going into this event in September, especially since most of your marquee things, like big marquee movies and stuff, are all going to be happening on the Saturday event on August the 22nd. I love DC and I love Warner Brothers, but this just screams planning and, it's, and it just makes it look like they don't know what they're doing. And that's the frustrating thing because I know they know what they're doing. There's so many smart and amazing people that work for these companies across the board, whether it be comics, animation, television, movies, and I don't know whose idea this was or what mistake might have been made to cause this, but it makes you look bush league and that's unfortunate. I'm still going to enjoy the event. I'm still looking forward to it. I'm still going to cover the hell out of it, but it's just disappointing that. You now it just doesn't seem like this epic twenty-four hour event, especially when your encores start at nine o'clock Eastern time. It just doesn't have the same feel to it now that you've split it up. And I realize you're doing this for you're trying to do this for the fans and give people opportunities to see more things. And I applaud that to a certain extent because you don't want to leave certain things off to the side. But at the same time, you're you're asking people to come back for a second event in September that's not gonna have as much marquee stuff in it. You're still gonna get the niche fans that just, you know, love Black Lightning or love DC's Legends of Tomorrow, or really want to know more about a certain comic or something like that. But you're not gonna get everybody. You might get you're definitely gonna get more people on the 22nd than you normally would. But for the 12th, it's almost like you you're still shunning these particular events anyway. Like moving Lucifer to the 12th that panel to the 12th makes no sense. The show is coming the show's out now and you're moving the panel that's associated with the show to September the 12th when the show's already going to have been out for almost a month. How does that make any sense? And Lucifer is a pretty big property. Just ask the Lusa fans, and they'll tell you. And you see how many times this show's been saved by its loyal fans. You couldn't have stuck that with the big time group. You didn't have to give it the primetime slot of 8 p.m. Eastern like you had it at before. You could have stuck it in the middle of the afternoon and fans would still turn out for it. But what you, the way this whole thing went down, especially changing it at the last minute and what they decided to do with the change, no, I'm very disappointed in how this whole thing laid out. I know that that probably isn't the reaction that they were expecting, but it just looks, it just looks bad across the board. I'm sorry. I really hope that this work this event works out the way they wanted to and the 12 the one on the 12th of September is just as big but I just I'm just very disappointed at how this whole thing was executed and it actually makes me worry about how things are going to go down but you know what if you get a bunch of cool trailers and a bunch of reveals on in the Saturday event then nobody's going to care how this whole thing was handled but that to me is a risky little game so you better be careful with what you wish for there Here's some positive news though for fans of Warner Brothers, and this according to variety, and that is the Batman will be starting production back up in September. Warner Brothers had no comment to this story, by the way, but it looks like production will start back up in September for the movie. And that is not all that came out of this either, by the way. Apparently the Matrix 4 has already started a production in Berlin, and they've, of course, got their, you know, safety protocols to keep coronavirus out of that set, and, you know, we're not privy to those, obviously, those requirements, but I'm sure that they'll come out eventually. Also, the Fantastic Beasts sequel is going to, well, the third movie in the series anyway, is also going to be starting production up around the same time as the Batman does as well, but this, the Batman's going to be shot in Warner Brothers' Levenson Studios' in the uk according to the insiders that spoke to variety and apparently crews have been building sets and things like that so you know if you're going to keep this contained this is the best way to do it and i want to address something really quickly for something that i've been seeing making the rounds like how are how is shooting going to be different how are things going to change how are you going to do close to close combat or maybe love scenes or certain things like that my answer to that is simple Look at what they've done in sports, especially with like the NBA. They have their bubble. They've had no positive tests as of me recording this, and they've had no issues with everybody in there. Once everybody's tested and you're in a secure location and everybody follows the rules, and that is a big key, I realize that. But if everybody follows the rules, you should be able to operate as normal because nobody has the virus and nobody's bringing it in because you're all there sort of thing, right? So you would think you wouldn't necessarily have to change much of anything love scenes maybe but close to close combat scenes if basketball players can sweat all over each other and breathe all over each other for two and a half hours in an indoor stadium then you can shoot a movie and have action scenes and have no problems I would think as long as you're keeping things these protocols as tightly knit as they should be but again you have to rely on everybody doing what they're supposed to do to keep the virus out I realize that but you can't you have to at least give it a shot. Health and safety, most important thing, obviously. But at some point, you've got to try to shoot the movie the way you intended. And if you find out that you just can't do it, then you make the changes necessary after the fact. You don't go into this thinking, well, now I have to shoot this entire movie differently because then that could screw up the product you've already shot and the stuff that you still have left to shoot. So we'll just have to see exactly how they go about this whole thing and of course you're talking about the uk and germany Germany's is done pretty well up to this point in containing the virus in that country but i'm not going to get into the politics of any of this stuff i'm just saying is that we're not talking about shooting in the u.s here rules are going to be a little bit different over there we'll just have to see how that goes how about a little bit of trailer talk right now speaking of some imports peacock's got another great new series it looks like it's going to be coming out on september the 17th and that is called departure if you're a sucker for an airplane mystery this one will definitely have you wrapped around its little finger and by the way it also has Archie Punjabi from Blindspot who I loved on Blindspot and Christopher Plummer yes the legendary Christopher Plummer are going to be your investigative team to find out what happened to this plane that's basically what's going on a plane has disappeared there's one survivor and that is your suspect for this disappearance. And it looks like there's a layered conspiracy here. That's one thing that I like that makes this feel a little different. This is based on a Canadian series, but it isn't the Canadian series. It's a new take on it. So I just want to get that out of the way first, but it's a layered conspiracy. It's not just like a, Oh, the government doesn't want people to find out it just based on the trailer. It feels like there's more to it than just your standard. The government doesn't want anybody to know what happened to this plane, what really happened sort of thing. So I like that we're going to let this unravel a little bit. Only going to get six episodes at about 45 minutes a piece. But, you know, again, I'll take that. And if you're telling me that's the episode, that's the number of episodes I'm going to get, obviously you're going to give me something in those six episodes. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing exactly how they can play this whole thing out and how this is going to work. Plus, I mean... You could say, well, isn't this just Manifest? No, it's com- it's very different than Manifest because Manifest has the callings that it seems like there's some sort of weird science fiction thing going on here. This is just a, it looks like a straight up thriller mystery that it's just going to be, I-, I think that this is going to be really, really good, especially with the cast that's involved. So I cannot wait for that on September the 17th from the Peacock streaming service. Then you fast forward a week to September the 25th and you're going to have Utopia, from Amazon and this is basically about a comic book series named Utopia in this in this series that sort of talks about um, for lack of a better way to put it diseases like Ebola and things like that and mers and and things that outbreaks that have happened but they they predicted them well before they actually happened so you know spoiler alert if you haven't seen the trailer yet turns out that everything in Utopia was true. So if you're wearing the tin foil hat and you've got your conspiracy theories on, this one was dead on. This was a conspiracy that actually was a it was true to to life. And then you've got these young people who have obviously read the comic that realize this and they're like, "Well, now we got to try and stop it." And Rain Wilson, who is one of the leading scientists on the particular virus that they're dealing with in this series is the leading expert on that and he's sort of their almost de facto I don't want to say leader because that doesn't seem right, but it, for lack of a better term, that's what he is. He's almost like the guy that knows everything, so let's go to him. By the way, this does come from best-selling author and award-winning screenwriter Gillian Flynn, who did Gone Girl and Sharp Objects. You want to talk about something that's going to be a legit story? I trust a great writer like Gillian Flynn, no doubt about it. So, I mean, and you've got John Cusack, who doesn't do TV, by the way not in a regular role anyway. He's going to be a series regular in this. So you've got John Cusack, you've got a bunch of young up and coming actors as well. And this is going to be a very interesting yet uncomfortable story because we're, we are talking about a pandemic here. And since we're living through one at the moment, it's certainly going to make you a little bit uneasy. How could it not? But I'm interested to see how their story is told. And you see a lot of like Like, you know, containment suits and, you know, sanitizing and there's fire and there's all kinds of stuff. And it's almost like, okay, so how are they going to deal with it? It's almost like, is there a roadmap in here somewhere that that we can kind of follow and maybe figure this thing out? Hey, if, if the if the comic can be true to life, maybe there's a little bit of truth in this series as well. Who knows? I'm just saying we can use all the help that we can get at this point. I'm really looking forward to this as uncomfortable as it's going to be a time. September the 25th, we'll find out what Utopia has in store on Amazon Prime Video. Speaking of Amazon Prime Video, really quickly, a name that you'll recognize from Supernatural is find out how he's going to move on from the series once it ends. And that's Jensen Eccles, who's going to be joining Season 3 of The Boys, according to Variety. Oh, and this was such an amazing casting. Going to be reuniting with Eric Kripke, who of course, was the creator, one of the creators of Supernatural, who he worked with for so many years. And, of course, Kripke, the showrunner of The Boys, has cast Jensen Eccles as Soldier Boy. And if you know who that is, he's the first soup celebrity fought in World War II. It's almost like the figurehead for everything that Vought has been doing, like almost like pre-Vought, right? But you also know that you, you hear a name like Soldier Boy, and maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler for anybody that hasn't read the comics. Not that the show follows the comics letter by letter either, by the way. So this is not necessarily... How this is going to play out. But Soldier Boy isn't necessarily. How it sounds right. He's not like this badass hero. Not behind the scenes anyway. He's a little bit meek. So it's going to be interesting to see. What kind of angle. They take with this character. And I won't spoil something that happens in the comics. With Homelander. But I'm just very interested to see. If this plays out. The way it does in the comics. Even a little bit. Because that is going to create. And how this character kind of... We're not even through season two yet. We don't even know what's going to happen in season two. We've already got a season three casting. So how this is going to meld into the story of season three. We don't even know if Homelander is going to be alive in season three, right? We don't know any of these answers because the show isn't out yet. It's not coming out until September the 4th. So we're not going to know until at least, what, end of October what's really going to happen. In season two of The Boys. So, but bravo to them for keeping themselves in the news cycle, too, by the way, by making a season. First of all, they announced there was going to be season three last week. And then this week, you announced a major casting like Jansen Echols to add to your show. Bravo to them to have a piece of news almost every week leading up to their premiere, which I already can't wait for. And now you've got another reason, if you're a Supernatural fan, to look forward to season three of The Boys. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks so much to Amy Garcia for joining me this week. And the folks at Warner Brothers and Netflix talk about Lucifer, which you can stream right now. Season 5, Part 1, available right now on Netflix. Go, watch. You're going to want to watch this thing several times. I'm just saying it might be the best, at least half of a season, that this show's had. and I, I can't imagine what's going to happen in the second half. Of it as well. If you want more, more interviews from Lucifer, by the way, I've got a ton of them at down and nerdypodcast.com. You can also follow along on social media at down and nerdy757 on Twitter, on Instagram, and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. And be good to your fellow nerds.